You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Hello, and welcome to the October 2011 edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. My name is Shane. I'll be your host today, and we're going to talk about several things today uh, before we get into our uh, topic for today, which is real important, the 10 signs you are near burnout. This comes from a blog post that Perry wrote back in September, and we want to dig into that today. But before we do, I just want to remind you guys out there a couple things that are coming up soon here at New Spring that you do not want to miss. The first is our Reawaken uh, conference. It's going to happen, or workshop, I guess we're actually calling that. It's a one-day deal on December the 1st this year. You can still sign up at Unleash.cc. Perry, is there anything you want to say about that? Uh, I'll talk more about that at the end of the podcast, but I can just say for now it's going to be um, – it could be a ministry-saving event. So – no doubt about that. And today's topic will focus on many of the reasons why you may need to be uh, here for Reawaken 2011. I also want to point out that we have got record signups for Unleash 2012. We've sold the event out the last three years or four years, I think. Yeah, yeah. And we've already uh, sold well over a thousand tickets uh, to that. And you do not want to miss it. It's coming up in March of 2012. It's our. Uh, effort to just share with you how we do church and why we do church. So hopefully to encourage you, your leadership, volunteers, it's priced in a way that anybody can attend. 49 bucks until like the beginning of January or December. I mean, 49 bucks to attend a conference. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be awesome. It's always a big deal. Bring your pastor, bring your volunteers. It's priced in a way that you can bring as many people as you'd like to, but it will sell out. So go to unleash.cc and sign up for that today. Well, with that, Perry, I want to jump right into uh, today's topic. Again, this comes from a blog post you wrote back this past September called The Ten Signs You Are Near Burnout or Meltdown. And so I want to just quote you from that post uh, where you said this, My counselor shared a statistic with me two years ago that floored me. Ninety percent of the people entering ministry do not retire from ministry. They either quit or have some sort of moral or ethical failure that disqualifies them. Perry, when you heard your counselor say that, what went through your mind? You know, it floored me because nobody talks about this, Shane. Nobody talks about the pitfalls associated with ministry. We're always told, you know, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be good. God's going to bless your church. God's going to bless you. Everything's going to be awesome. Um, But then, you know, another statistic I saw is that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. Now, this is just pastors. That's not even staff members. That's pastors. And so one of the things that it it finally clicked with me, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the stuff that people don't really talk about in conferences, but they do talk about it during the breaks of the conference. They do talk about it um, in the halls of the conference. And I'm like, well, let's just bring it out and talk about it for real. So I did this blog post, and I was blown away at the traffic that this particular post um, generated like it. It was unbelievable, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I think we hit a nerve, and I think this is something that we need to address and talk about. Yeah, it's so important, and that's why I thought today what I would do, Perry, is just sort of read the ten signs that you list in the pot. I'm sorry, in your uh, blog post, and just let you comment on those, and we'll work our way through them. and um, And I know they'll be helpful to many out there because this has become sort of the church's dirty little secret—the thing that nobody wants to talk about. Yep, that's so important. Yep. So the first uh, sign that you shared from your blog post was this. Number one, 
You are beginning to despise people, and your compassion for them is continually decreasing rather than increasing. Yeah, you know, this really hit me, Shane, because what I went through in December, and I'll talk more about this here, and, and then especially during the conference. In December 2007, um, I began struggling with depression, and I didn't come out of it until January of this year. I mean, January 2011. That's a long time to really wrestle with it. And um, one of the things that began to happen to me is I began to not like people. Um, and I got convicted one day uh, when I was reading in the Gospels where Jesus gets in the boat after he hears that John the Baptist is, has been beheaded. And he's going to the other side of the lake. And, um, man, that's a bad day. I mean, you just find out your cousin got beheaded. I mean, it's just crazy. And he's in ministry, and crowds are trying to get to him, and he's, he's overwhelmed. And so, I mean, we, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the human side of Jesus. But, man, he was tired. So he gets in the boat, and he goes, hey, he tells his disciples, let's get away. Let's do a little retreat. He gets to the other side of the lake. And there's a crowd of people waiting on him. Now, at that point, me personally, I'm pushing the boat back. I'm going out in the middle of the lake and jumping in or something. I don't know. I'm getting out of there. But the Bible says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And when I read that, when I was going through my depression period, I went, okay, this is an area where I am not like Jesus because I don't... like the. People are a nuisance to me. And then I began to realize, and the Lord began to kind of deal with me, um, people are pretty much the reason you're in ministry. It's not about you. It's about serving people, loving people, blessing people, equipping people, um, helping people. And so it was just one of those things that I began to look at, and I said, man, during that time, I had to literally catch myself not, I mean, people would be like, I got a problem, I got a problem. And I would get so mad at people that had problems, not understanding that if people didn't have problems, there'd probably be no need for us to be in ministry. So I, I, just, I just really want to warn leaders that when you actually begin to despise the people that you are called to love and shepherd and care for, that's a major warning sign in your life. And it's probably God going, hey, this whole compassionate thing, like the thing, the thing I'm I'm learning, and then we'll move on to point number two, is as you follow Jesus more closely, your compassion level for people should increase, not decrease. And if it's decreasing, um, there's there's something there that you need to pay attention to. So, Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's a serious thing when you lose your compassion for people. Yep. Number two, Perry, you wrote this. You often think about doing something other than ministry, and your biggest desire isn't to honor God and reach people, but to simply find relief from the pressure that seems to be building daily inside of you. Yeah. Um, so the joke is um, that I always say with pastors is that every Monday um, we think about um, going to Home Depot or Lowe's and stacking lumber. Like, that would be a great, great job. That would be a great career. Um, I've heard pastors say, uh, no, I'd, I'd rather sell insurance. And I'm like, no, I'm not selling insurance. you got to talk to people. Um, I, I, want, I want to go and work where I don't have to. Like, my biggest problem is i got a splinter in my hand. Um, and so what happens is um, pastors that, that get burned out, and, and listen, this is where some pastors are going to say, that's not me, and you really need to pay attention, is you begin to have what I call escapist fantasies. And when you have an escapist fantasy, many of them can be immoral. Um, many times you can begin to think, okay, 
I planted my church here. Um, I've got all these problems. I'll just move to another state and another city and plant another church. Now, I want to be very careful here, and I want to be. I want to say that pastors that do that aren't having escapist fantasies. And like, because I know a lot of men that have left their church to go to another state to plant another church, and God called them to it, and they did it, and they're honoring God. So I'm not saying that as a blanket statement, but I do know for a fact that people have went and planted another church or went and done something else, not because God called them to it, but because that's how they felt like they could escape the pain. So when you begin to start thinking about how you can get out of the situation that you know that God brought you into, that is a serious indicator that you are approaching spiritual burnout. You know, just one more thing on that, Pierre. I remember one time you saying that uh, some pastors that you've known or, or heard their stories, they actually put themselves in a place to fall morally just so that they could get out of the pressure of being a pastor. Yeah, I have I have a philosophy, um, and uh, I can't prove this is right, but, man, I feel strongly about this, that a lot of the pastors that we've seen over the past 5 to 10, even, you know, Shane, 25, 30 years, um, get caught um, messing around um, in immorality. I think it was an actual a, a sort of a relief for them in a sick way, mm-hmm. um, but a relief that they didn't have to endure the pain anymore. They had to endure the pain of getting caught having um, an immoral relationship, but there was actually a relief associated with it because they were like, "I don't have to. I don't have to pastor anymore. I don't have to be a minister anymore." And it's tough. It's it's hard being in the ministry. Yep. We don't want to hear of any of our listeners making that trade. No, 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 no. Uh, the third thing you wrote, uh, third sign you wrote, Perry, in your blog post was this. You cannot remember the last time you simply had fun with family and friends, and joy is something you talk about but not are, but are not experiencing yourself. Yeah. Um, so this came out of a question that my counselor asked me, and it was one of the most convicting questions I've ever been asked in my life. Um, he asked this question, what do you do for fun? And it was, uh, I mean, I kind of said, um, well, uh, I work out. And he stopped me and he said, that's not fun. You don't work out for fun. Nobody works out for fun. Um, that's not fun. So what do you do for fun? And I couldn't tell him. And then he asked me this, Shane. He said, when's the last time you had fun? And I had to think back to maybe 2005 when Lucretia and I went to Hawaii for our 10-year anniversary, um, our five-year anniversary, sorry. And he was like, you know what? If you don't learn how to have fun, you're not going to make it in life. Mm. Fun is a relief valve. Um, And so, man, I just, I, I meet so many pastors and I ask them, what do you do for fun? And they go, read theology books. Okay, let me, let me, let me help you, bro. Even if you're a nerd, that's not fun. I mean, if you love to read, great. Pick up a fiction novel that has nothing to do with, you know, ministry. Um, I, I've had pastors go, I love to go visit other churches. Okay, that's not fun. That's work. When is the last time you simply enjoyed the abundant life that God allows us to enjoy? The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from God. And so, man, this summer especially, and Shane, I'm just now getting a hold of this. You've seen it. Um, I went to the lake a lot, um, spent some time out on the boat, spent more time with friends, and I am, I am learning now how to have fun. And I think not only am I better for it, but I think the staff is better for it, and I think my family mm-hmm. is better for it. So 
If you're out there and you're listening to this podcast and you can't remember the last time you had fun, I'm going to tell you this. You're in too deep. You're in too deep because I believe that God has called us um, from time to time. Hey, man, that, that's why there's a Sabbath to rest and enjoy and have fun. God loves us so much, he's scheduled a day for fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good God right there. That's that is, awesome. That is a good God. Fun is not a dirty word. Fun is not a dirty word. Even in word. the ministry. Absolutely, man. I just, and it's so necessary for pastors and staff members to have fun. The fourth thing you wrote, Perry, the fourth sign was this. You are disconnected at home. When you get there, you do not want to engage with your spouse or children. You cannot enjoy being around them. You spend more time online than you do with your family, and you find yourself wanting to sleep all of the time. Okay, this is the dirty little secret that pastors don't talk about. Um, When you, and we'll talk more about this um, at number six too, when you get into a state of burnout or meltdown, depression or whatever, you become increasingly obsessed with what people say about you. Or you become increasingly obsessed with, I got to plan the next sermon. Or you become increasingly obsessed with, I got to plan the next series. Because the trap is, you fall into this trap, Shane. You fall into the trap of, I've got to outdo myself. Um, Oh my gosh, last Christmas was awesome. This Christmas has got to be better. Last Sunday was awesome. This Sunday's got to be better. And um, Rick Warren said it the best. He said, man, you don't have to hit a home run every every week. Just hit a single. You know, single, I mean, that produces, those produce runs. Just hit a single. And so what happens, though, is you get in that mindset and you can't ever shut your mind down. So you go home, and this would happen to me. I would go home, and my wife would be sitting across from the dinner table talking to me, but um, she sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. You remember, wah, 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 shmah, and I won't, won't. I mean, that's how she sounded, because while she's talking to me, I'm thinking about... You know, that word in the Greek, what does that word mean in the Greek? Or I'm thinking about, where are we going to start the next campus? Or, man, that problem today at church, I really need it. And, so, and then my daughter is coming over and trying to crawl up in my lap, and I'm thinking, how can I turn this into a sermon illustration? And, I mean, it just becomes this really sick joke. And then um, we, we always go from the kitchen to the living room, and we're playing around, and my daughter is in the living room, um, playing, going play with me, Daddy, and my wife is, you know, you know, having fun, and I'm on the computer writing a blog post. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is sick <laughs> because at the end of the at, at the end of the day, my daughter's not going to remember, or she's never going to say to me, you know, Daddy, that time you didn't play with me and you wrote that blog post that meant so much to me, or that time you had to leave me and go tweet what you tweeted, or that time you had to update your Facebook profile because. That, that's not going to matter. But we can become so engaged or, or so disconnected at home. And, uh, and, and Shane, let me just say this. And one of the things that I think we're very unwilling to do in church world is call something broken or call something dead. Um, the idea that the pastor always has to be available to his people is the dumbest, most ignorant thing I've ever seen. Let, let's, just, let's just admit this, Shane. That system did not work. Okay? Think about pastors. Now, listen, the, the generation before me produced some amazing, godly men. And, I, and I've had the privilege to learn from them. But Shane, what I saw for the most part 
as men would begin to pastor a church anywhere from 50 to 100 to 150. And God would bless it, and it would grow, and it would grow, and it would grow. Well, what happened is that pastor became available to every person in that church. Um, so he did all the weddings. He did all the funerals. He did all the hospital visits. He never had time with his own children. He never had time with his wife because people were always demanding his time. They were always demanding his attention. And then um, if his family did fall apart, the church would fire him. They would go, well, you're supposed to be able to lead your family well, not understanding that they didn't provide the opportunity for him to lead his family well. And so that system produced, um, well, let's just ask ourselves this question. Um, is America more church or less church than it was 40 or 50 years ago? Definitely less. It's less. Okay, well, listen, let's just call the system broken. Let's call it dead. Hey, if I go into a funeral home and see somebody in a casket, I don't call them struggling. I call them dead. And so that system did not work. The pastor always being available did not work. I've always said that the church is not effective when the pastor ministers to the people. The church is effective when the body ministers to the body. I laughed the other day because I saw a blog post cracking on multi-site, and it asked the question, well, what happens if your pastor gets hit by a bus? And I laughed. I was like, well, it depends on how big the bus is. Because if it's a small bus, I think I could take it. If it's a bigger bus, it might hurt. If it's one of those double-decker buses in London, I'm a goner. But I'm like, you know what? I think our church will be okay because I've taught this church, um, and I've been very intentional about this. I'm not going to minister to you. We are going to minister to one another. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4. It was God who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body may be built up. Mm. And so at the end of the day, I don't have to be available to everyone, but we do all need to be available to each other. Mm. Um, so that old system, listen, some great men of God that shepherded people well and loved them but it led us into a more unchurched America. I would say that system failed, and um, we need to call it. We need to call it what it is. Yeah, I agree with you. Think about some of the great men of God from generations past that ignored their families. What we ended up with is one generation of a great guy from God, and their families disconnect because they didn't see their daddy do what he preached. Yep. Right, and so we can't fall into that same trap. Nope. I was call, I was talking, and we'll move on from this. But I was talking to the grandchild of a very famous um, pastor in the um, in, in well, let's just say in the in the southeast region. I was talking to the grandchild, and he told me, and th- and this guy, this pastor was pretty famous um, in the area that he pastored in. Everybody loved him, and uh, when he died, everybody showed up to his funeral. And um, all this stuff. And this guy was telling me, he was talking to his grandma one day. And his grandma told him, son, it was miserable Mm. being married to your grandfather because he never was available to his family. So while the church lifted him up as a hero, his family did not respect him. That's not a win, bro. No, that's a loss. That's not a win. That's a loss. And people say, well, the body was served. Actually, your family was not served. Um, I would say that's a loss. So anyway, I'm, yeah, okay, we could go a, off on that for a whoo, really long time. Okay, we'll talk about that at NLC. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I mean not NLC. What at, at, at reawaken? We may yeah. talk about it. We, NLC. we could. It's I might. possible. I'm going to do it. Mark Driscoll talked about it. Mark Driscoll's message at NLC was awesome. You need to download it and listen to it. All right. The fifth thing, Perry, you wrote on your blog post uh, was this: you continually tell yourself 
and those you love that this is just really this is just a really busy season mm-hmm. and that you will slow down soon. However, the truth is that you've most likely been singing that same song for years. Okay, so right in the middle of my depression. 2007, I'm depressed. And in 2008, um, I've got this problem where I can't really say no to anybody. Um, I, and, and pastors, a pastor with compassion in his heart really has a hard time saying no. Because um, we want to serve people. I mean, we really do love people. And so I was saying yes to every speaking opportunity I got because I thought that's what you did. You just said yes. And uh, it was uh, Larry Larry Osborne that told me that um, opportunity does not equal obligation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember him telling me that, and I was like, oh, my. I mean, that set me free. So anyway, um, I remember telling Lucretia after we were going over my schedule one night, I said, um, baby, I said, this is just a really busy season, and after we get through this next several weeks, it's going to slow down. And with compassion, but with firmness, she looked at me and she smiled and she said, you do understand you've been saying that for four years. Like, I've heard that phrase come out of your mouth now for four years in a row. And I was like, um, convicted. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, okay. Um, gotta make, but that's the lie we tell ourselves. The lie we tell ourselves is, I can keep going, I can keep going, I can keep going. Well, at the, hey, at the end of the day, if you take a sports car out, it's built for speed. But if you floor it and you put the odometer in the red, sooner or later the engine blows up because it cannot handle that pace. If you're going to run a marathon, you don't start out sprinting. I mean, you you've got to you've got to pace yourself. And so, yes, there are seasons in ministry where you have to work. In fact, there are seasons in ministry where you have to work harder than you've ever worked before. You have to push. You have to dig deep. But then there are seasons in ministry where you've got to catch your breath. And, um, and it's okay to do it. And so, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that at, at Reawaken. But, yeah, I, I was saying that to Lucretia, and she just called me out on it. Before we leave that point, I'd love for you to share with our listeners what you shared with us when your counselor Talk to you about the difference. So the Bible calls people who won't work lazy, mm-hmm. but those who not rest sinners. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, those the, he said the Bible the Bible calls those who will not work lazy. The, the Bible calls those who will not rest disobedient. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, I'm disobedient. Um, and just and really once again it was it was just incredibly incredibly convicting because I was like, well, you know, I mean, I used to tell people the devil never takes a day off and then somebody reminded <laughs> me that the devil's not to be my example. Yeah. And and then honestly, this this brought me back to a book I read by Max Lucado. It's one of his earlier books and I'm trying to I th- I'm trying to I think the title was and the angels were silent. Mm-hmm. And maybe or Anyway, it was a book that Max wrote talking about the last week of the life of Jesus. And what I found fascinating about that entire book is there's an entire chapter on the Sabbath, and he said, read all of the Gospels and see if you can find what Jesus did on the Sabbath the last week of his life. He said there's no account in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John of Jesus doing anything on the Sabbath. So, Jesus, most important person ever lived, doing the most important mission that's ever been um, uh, given to anyone on this planet, on the week that he was about to go and pay for our sins on the cross, 
he took a day off and honored his father. Now, that's strong. And uh, it was incredibly convicting. And obviously, I read it but didn't do anything about it. So... <laughs> Um, well, sometimes it, it takes a while for it things takes to sink a, I'm not the sharpest <laughs> knife in the drawer. Uh, number six, you wrote, you are continu- continually becoming obsessed with what others say about you. And one negative comment from someone who does not like you can put you into an incredibly deep valley and cause you to feel hopeless. I have bought the T-shirt on this one. Uh, in fact, I've, I've, I think I've probably bought the entire wardrobe. Uh when you're going to attempt to do something great for God, you're going to have to endure criticism. And I think Rick Warren said, and I don't know that I'm getting this number right, Shane, but he said the average pastor leaves his church over five critics. Um, it might be seven. Um, seven's the number of completion. We might go with that, but five. Yeah. And anyway, Rick, Rick, Rick knows the stat. Um, you know, just call just call Saddleback Church and ask Rick about that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Rick will pick up the phone. Uh Anyway, um, so the the problem with critics is, well, there's several problems with critics. Um, if you're going to do something great for God, you're going to get attacked. Um, Paul got attacked. Um, Nehemiah, when he's trying to rebuild the wall, Sam Ballot and Tobiah show up, and they threaten him and try to intimidate him. Um, if you're not getting attacked, it's because Satan's not bothered by you. Mm-hmm. And if you're so, if you're not facing any resistance, then you're not moving. Um, things standing still hardly ever face any resistance. But if you're pushing forward, you're going to get critics. Now, I mean, there's a difference between a critic and a coach, and I've got an entire series on my blog about that. But you should always listen to your coaches. But I still stand firmly by the fact that you should never listen to your critics because your critics don't want to help you. They want to attack you. They have no source of authority other than the fact that they have a website named after them. Um, and, and so you don't need to get obsessed with them. But what happens is when you begin to get depressed, um, these people find you, Satan will make sure of it, um, and they begin to attack you and accuse you and tear you down in unbelievable ways. And, and let me tell you why I don't listen to these guys. Um, and I'm just going to be very honest and transparent here. I'm going to be very, very blunt. They claim that they're brothers in Christ, and they claim they're doing this for the kingdom, but they have no compassion, and they have no mercy, and they have no care. Um, point in case, um, I've got my share of people that don't like me. And, and listen, that's part of ministry. You're not going to be liked by everybody. If people did not like Jesus, whom was perfect, they will not like you, who is imperfect, and me. And so um, so I get attacked, and, and they say, well, I just love God, and I love the church, and I love the kingdom. I'm trying to do better. But, you know, Shane, you remember my dad died back in July. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many of those guys called me or emailed me or sent me a tweet or hit us up on our church Facebook sign sign and set a page and said, "Hey, listen, um, we might not agree with everything, but Perry, I know you're hurting, I know you're grieving, and I'm praying for you." You know how many did that? What? Zero. In fact, on two occasions, Shane, they used the death of my father to attack me and criticize me and tear me down. Now, here's my question: How sick is that? Mm-hmm. How sick is that that they would use the death of my dad? to attack me. That is a sick, sick person who I would equate with being demon-possessed. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. That'll get out there. Um, And and should always be ignored. Mm -hmm. Um, A critic always wants to 
judge you not based on your ministry, but on on uh, a minute, thirty second sound bites. Mm-hmm. So they always want to attack you for something you've done in the past. And if you let these people come after you, um, and you get obsessed, listen. I think Craig Rochelle said it. The quickest way to forget um, what God thinks about me is to become obsessed with what others think about me. Mm-hmm. And so always, always, always listen to your coaches, people that love Jesus, love the church, and love you. But, man, I just don't have room. I just don't have time for people that their only desire is to attack and criticize and tear down and never to offer hope. Yep. Doesn't sound a lot like Jesus to me. No, it doesn't sound a lot like Jesus. It sounds a lot like Satan. And I just call it what it is. It sounds a lot like the devil, Lucifer, (laughs) Satan. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Number seven, you begin to make easy decisions rather than the right ones because the right ones take too much work. Okay, yeah. So if you're burnout or you're experiencing meltdown, the goal becomes to get relief as soon as possible. Uh, It's kind of like working out. Um, if I know I need to do 10 reps, but it starts hurting on rep number six, um, you know, the best thing to do is try to push through that pain. The easy thing to do is put the bar back on the rack and go, you know what? I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to do this. This really hurts. This really sucks. Um, by the way, working out is not fun. So I I think that, um, what happens in leadership is we'll sit in meetings and when we're burned out, Man, we know the right decision. The right decision is, um, okay, i got to release somebody. The right decision is we've got to cut the budget. The right decision is, man, i got to have a really hard conversation with this person. The right decision is, you know, blank. The easy decision um, is, is, well, maybe, maybe I can let this go, or maybe I can just pray about it. Um, so, many, so many problems exist in the church because we're praying about it rather than doing what God has already clearly said to do. Um, and so I, I just think that when we look to make the easy decision, listen, we know. We know it's the easy decision but not the right decision. It's simply because we don't have the um, – well, we just don't have the strength to push through it. And that's a sign that you need to take a break. Yeah, and avoiding decisions is not making decisions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, avoiding decisions. It's kind of like um, I had this thing on my back uh, – Several months ago, this thing and it just kind it wasn't of started, like a monster. It was like no, it was like, it was like skin a, cancer. Skin, yeah, this skin thing, and it started getting bigger, and it started getting bigger, and it started getting bigger, and like my skin was starting to flake off of my back. <laughs> and so Lucretia goes, "I think you might need to go get that checked out." And I was like, "No, no, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good." <laughs> and um, she was like, "No, no, I really think you need to go to the dermatologist." Well, I just don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to any doctor. I don't like the eye doctor. I don't like the dentist. I don't like the. Doc- I mean, I just so anyway. I'm like, I don't, I don't know about the, you know. But by the way, I have a great family doctor. So anyway, I um, she she um, she called uh, um, one of the ladies that works in my office, and I think they set an appointment up and kind of hijacked me with it. And so I go to the dermatologist. And she goes, oh, yeah, you've got um, this basal cell skin cancer. And I was like, whoa, 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 skin. And she said, oh, it's not a big deal. And I'm thinking, it's not a big deal because it's not on your back. It's on my back. It's a big freaking deal. It's cancer. And so she gave me this stuff that, you know, to put on it or whatever. But here's the deal. If I would have ignored that, my entire back would look like I have fungus on me. I mean, it, it would have been gross because I would have been ignoring it. It's so easy to ignore problems. But if you ignore them, they listen. I've never had a talk with any leader that said, "Hey, man, how did you how did you really handle that problem?" And they said, "Man, I just ignored it till it went away." Yeah, 
That never works. Well, no, think about the book of Nehemiah. They ignored the fact that the walls were down for, what, 140 years? And Nehemiah comes and goes, hey, guys, um, didn't know if y'all knew this, but the walls are down. <laughs> then he rebuilt them. So anyway, ignoring the problem never makes it go away. The eighth thing you wrote was this. This is a tough one. There's no hope in you, and you actually despair life. You've actually thought of death, and some have inter- entertained suicidal thoughts. Yeah, see, this is something ministers don't talk about either. I realized I was, and I'll talk more about this at, at um, Reawaken. I realized I was in trouble one day when I was driving home, and it had been a long, long, long season. I was in my car, and I cut the radio down, and I was approaching a red light that was green. And I was going to drive through it, and I had this thought. It would be awesome if somebody ran that red light, hit my car, and killed me. Now, where the crap did that come from? Like, okay, I have a great marriage. I have a great family. The ministry is successful. It's growing. We're starting new campuses. And I'm having thoughts of I want a maniac to run a red light so I can be killed. And it was right about that time that I went, all right, I think I need to get some counseling because um, I despaired life. I wanted to die, bro. I wanted to die. And so I don't, let's just go ahead and call that not normal. Let's go ahead and call that jacked up. And I know there are men and, and women out there right now listening to this podcast that have probably had that thought. Okay, let me just go ahead and help you. That is a warning sign that something is broken. Your check engine light is now on, and it's bright red, and you cannot ignore that check engine light. If you're having suicidal thoughts or, man, I hope somebody runs a red light so I can get killed, that's a major problem. But, bro, it's real. There are pastors and ministers out there that struggle with this stuff, but they won't admit it because they feel like if they admit it, they'll either get fired from their church or they'll get, you know, people will think they're a freak or whatever when this happens every day to people in ministry. So true. And just while you're mentioning that, such a, you know, tough thing. But today we're recording this on October 23rd, the first uh, day of our new series, uh, The Life of Job, A Story of Hope. So if you're listening, go check out Perry's message uh, called Don't Give Up from October 23rd. Maybe it'll uh, create some hope in you, uh, get you to reawaken as well. The ninth thing you wrote, uh, Perry, was you are experiencing unexplained depression and or anxiety. You're even having panic attacks, and you can't explain it. Yeah, so (laughs) I had a panic attack on a Christmas Eve service in 2009. And it was during the invitation. And during the invitation, I literally start thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to die right now. I'm going to die right now. I'm about to die. I'm dying. And, and um, so I'm talking about Jesus, and I'm like, well, this is great. I'll just talk about him, then I'll go see him. And, and I'm, I'm, so I walked off the stage while the band played the song, and I had to go sit down. And I then I went. It. Yeah, you remember that. Then I walked back on the stage, gave the invitation, and I had to get somebody to drive me home because I couldn't even breathe. And uh, and then um, I remember my counselor telling me, "That's not normal. Like that. That's not normal. Like you should not experience that." And I was always listen. Nobody talked to me 
when I started the ministry, and they don't they don't talk about it in, in seminary either about depression, anxiety. Hey, before when I started the church, I was an introvert. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I was an extrovert. I was in the middle of the room. Now I'm an introvert. My back has to be against the wall, and I'm I, I'm I'm that I'm I'm the introvert. Um, I get anxiety in crowds, and uh, and my counselor began to help me to discover, you know, panic attacks and depression is that should not be normal. Oh, that's just me. That's just normal. My family's always struggled with that. Well, okay, that's that's still not good. It's still not normal. It's still once again the check engine light. And so, if that's happening in your life, you've got to get some help um, because depression and panic attacks aren't, I mean, I just don't think that's God's, God's plan, ultimate plan for our lives. Can't ignore that. Nope. Uh, the last one you wrote, number 10, you are increasingly becoming withdrawn from family and friends. Oh yeah. I did this big time. I just wanted to be by myself. I just want to be by myself. Um, I remember Lucretia, my wife, Coming down into my basement, or our basement, it's not my basement, it's our basement. Um, when you get married, everything that is yours is hers, and everything that's hers is hers. Right. So I, I remember working out of my basement, our basement, and she came down the stairs, and I had all the lights off, and I was working out in the dark. And she cut the light on, and she said, why are you working out in the dark? And I remember I got pissed. I got pissed, number one, that she was there. Number two, she cut the light on. Okay, that's not normal. Okay, getting mad at your wife because she said something to you and cut the light on. Let's just go ahead and call that weird. Let's just. But nobody talks about that. So I, I wanted to withdraw. And then this is what I would do, Shane. I would. I would. I would start this up. Nobody calls me. Nobody ever wants to go out with me. Nobody ever wants to do anything with me. Nobody. Nobody loves me. Nobody. Nobody. You start telling yourself that, not understanding that it's probably true that nobody calls you that much. It's because the people that. The people you love and admire and actually want to hang out with you love you enough to let you rest, and they think you're busy. So they're not going to call. Um, and so I, I just I just became very withdrawn. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, my idea of a good time was to be as alone as possible. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, that's that was that. And once again, if you're if you're trying to be if you're increasingly becoming withdrawn, something's messed up. Yep, especially going back to what you said earlier. If, if God called you in to be a pastor, you have compassion for people, you want to see what happened to you, happen to them, and if that your life's going in the opposite direction, something's not right. Major problem, bro. Yep. And so Major problem. As we've walked through these 10 signs, Perry, we've heard little bits and pieces uh, of your journey through this, and I can say as a, as a friend and coworker, I mean, you've definitely turned turned the ship around here because you've taken specific steps, and God's been graceful, and he's put you with the right people. And I know a lot of that led to this idea of this uh, December 1st Reawaken Workshop. Tell us what, whatever else you want us to know about your, your walk, how you come to this place, and what people need to know about Reawaken and why they need to be here. Well, in 2007, I'm struggling with it. So in 2008, I asked a lot of questions. I started seeing a, a counselor at a friend of mine's church um, because she, I mean, and she was very helpful. Um, I started, uh, I started saying, well, maybe I could change this. I could change that. And I remember Craig Rochelle on a phone call one time told me, he said, you know, if minor changes could alter where you are and how you feel, you would have probably changed everything by now. He said, I don't think it's going to be minor for you. I think you're going to have to change some major things. Well, I didn't want to hear that. 
Um, I was like, no, 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 no. I just need to pray more and read my Bible more. Okay, listen, at the end of the day, I'm here to tell you something that's going to really piss a lot of people off. Pray more and read your Bible more is not going to work for some people listening to this podcast. And listen, bro, or listen, if you're listening to this, you've tried it and it's not working. Okay? So pray more and read your Bible more when it work. And so I remember I finally came in here. I told you guys that I was struggling with depression. I, I mean, when, I, when you tell your leadership team, and I know there's a lot of people going, well, I can't tell my leadership team. Well, it probably means you got the wrong leadership team if you can't tell them anything. Um, and so I told you guys, um, I, I got a counselor and, and the counselor that I got, his name is Dr. John Walker. Um, I tell people, they say, they, they ask me, how good is John Walker? I said, I, I tell people God used him to save mm-hmm. my ministry. If it wasn't been for John Walker and not the advice, but the biblical instruction that he gave me, he doesn't give advice. He gives biblical instruction um, I would not be in ministry today. I don't know where I'd be. I don't know what I'd be doing. I can tell you this. I would not be in the ministry. John is a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist. He's licensed. He's he's worked in, with cases that if I were to start talking about them, they would blow your mind. But he's also planted churches. I think he's planted two separate churches. And he, sir, he, was, he was ordained before he was licensed, licensed in um, licensed psychiatrist. And he served on every staff position in a church imaginable, youth pastor, worship leader, whatever. And so not only is he somebody that um, knows psychology, he's somebody that's actually lived in our world. And how he is able to relate to ministers is absolutely mind-blowing. So the whole idea behind this thing is I was like, hey, why don't we do a one-day deal where I bring in um, John and myself, and I talk about what I learned, and then John talks about what he knows, mm-hmm. which John could probably do a week-long seminar. I mean, he's an amazing man of God. And, uh, and why, don't we just, why don't we just do this thing? And I'm encouraging pastors to be here. I'm encouraging pastors to, to bring their wives, because here's what I know, here's what I feel, and Lucretia, has, my wife, has told me this. Um, a pastor's family cannot get healthy until the pastor decides to get healthy. It's it's impossible. Um, and so I'm, I'm telling pastors they need to bring their wives. And staff members of churches can come too. I think this would be very beneficial. M- most of it's going to be geared toward the, the senior pastor because um, John and I have agreed that that's... Listen, if, if the senior pastor's not healthy, the entire staff's going to be unhealthy. I mean, we've seen that. Um, so I, I, I'm just going to bring him in. It's going to be a one-day deal. You can get the information at unleash.cc. It's a one-day thing called Reawaken. And I'm telling you, it it could be the thing. My, here's my hope. I'm hoping that this event will literally save the ministry of so many people because we don't need ninety per, we don't need ninety percent of the people failing. I'll put it to you like this: If we're going to go skydiving and there's ten people, and right before everybody jumps, somebody goes, "Hey guys, um, I got some uh, good news and bad news. The good news is um, one of the parachutes work." the bad news is nine of the parachutes don't work. Okay, I'm not jumping out of that freaking plane. I'm like, no, land the plane, get me out of here. And so I'll take a chance. I'm not taking a chance with my life. But it's funny that that's exactly what's happening in ministry. Ten ten guys are jumping out of the plane, and nine of their parachutes don't work. I don't call that a win, and I don't call that good for the kingdom. I think we need to reduce that rate, and the only way it's going to happen is when pastors decide to get 
healthy. And that's what this day is focused on, and I hope we have a lot of people here. Yeah, I do too. And just from my vantage point, as a friend of Perry's and somebody who works closely with him, I've seen it's been a remarkable change, a new trajectory, both in his personal life and in ministry, and of course for our church and us as a leadership team. I know two other pastors that's that's met with uh, Dr. Walker, who it's same thing for them. Uh, the conversations uh, as a you know somebody sits in the second chair is another area of leadership. Just conversations I've had with him about your situation or when he came here, it helped me personally. I think it helped us as a group. I don't think there's anybody that can't be helped from uh, that knows they've got some of these signs that you've talked about. They need to be here and at least get the next step on their walk to recovery, just like you did. Yeah, somebody hit me up on Twitter and said, um, is this day going to change my life? And I, and I hit him back and I said, no, it's not going to change your life, but it's going to give you a good roadmap to how your life can be changed. Yep. Um, you know, it would be great if Jesus showed up and blinded us all. And, and I mean, I, and listen, if that happens, it's wow, that would be the best conference I've ever been to. But here's what I'm going to tell pastors, and here's what I'm going to tell church leaders. You can turn the corner because I turned the corner. Um, it's a hard corner to turn. And the other thing I would say is I'm not out of it. I'm not completely out of the woods. I mean, I, I, I'm, but I'm coming out. So it's still so raw with me. Um, and I, I was talking to Pete, somebody the other day, and I'm, I'm just discovering that the reason most pastors eventually burn out or flame out is because they are too scared to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, man, there's something about asking for help that's not weak, it's strong. And so I would tell pastors, you can come out of the woods, you can turn the corner, but you've got to have the courage to make that decision to say, man, I need help, I'm going to go to this thing, and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Well, with that, Perry, I guess we need to shut this edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast down. We hope to see you at Reawaken this year. Um, if you've um, heard anything in the 10 signs that Perry's uh, went through that we know or that you know apply to you, don't ignore this thing. Don't avoid a situation. Make a decision to take a next step for health, and that could be Reawaken uh, this year. So Unleash.cc for that information, and we will see you guys next time.